All right. Well, welcome to week two of our Zechariah series. Uh, in case you weren't here uh, last week, let me just take a minute here and kind of give you some context to where we are in the Bible, where we are in history. So the book of Zechariah, at least the first part, mainly takes place around 520 BC. Uh, and we said last week um, before that, so if you go back to like 586 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar of the Babylonians came to Jerusalem and he conquered the city, destroyed much of the city, and then exiled all of the Jewish people to Babylon. And then they're there for many, many years. The kingdom of Babylon is eventually conquered by the kingdom of Persia. And the very first thing that the King Cyrus of Persia does is he tells the Jews that they can go home. They can go back to Jerusalem, but they've been there for 50 years at this point. So many of them don't want to go home and only 50,000 people go back to Jerusalem and the whole city is just in ruins. Well, After they've been back in the city for about 17 years, that's when our friend, the prophet Zechariah, comes on the scene. So that's kind of the context for the book of Zechariah. Last week, we studied the introduction uh, to the book. And then right after the introduction, there are eight prophetic night visions. So there are eight visions that Zechariah has from the Lord, and they all happen the same night. In fact, it even tells us the exact date, which is kind of crazy. So it happened February 15th. 519 BC. So if that's your birthday, February 15th, you share it with this amazing part of Zechariah, I guess. Um, The first two of the eight visions are in uh, chapter one, but we are in week two, so we're doing chapter two. So we're going to join it kind of at the third of vision today. So go ahead and open a Bible. Um, we said last week there are really three ways that you can do that. One, you can go old school. You can bring your Bible with you. I like that. I see many of you doing that. Uh, two, you can just pick up a Bible at the welcome tent, or I guess the tent is gone to uh, the welcome table uh, on your way in and uh, just drop it off on your way out. Or you can just use our church app. You just have Bible in weekly verses and you can see it there. However you do it, we just want you to have the word of God in front of you, especially when we're doing something complex here like a Zechariah. So we're chapter two of verse one. If you have a church Bible, we're page 647. So let's take a look at the first few verses uh, together. So here's, here's what it says. Zechariah says, then I looked up and there before me was a man with a measuring line in his hand. And I asked, where are you going? He answered me to measure Jerusalem, to find out how wide and how long it is. While the angel who was speaking to me was leaving, another angel came to meet him and said, run, tell that young man. Jerusalem will be a city without walls because of the great number of people and animals in it. And I myself, this is the Lord speaking, I myself will be a wall of fire around it, declares the Lord, and I will be its glory within. Okay, let's pause there for a little bit. So uh, we don't don't have fancy screens for you to see, but I'm I'm titling my message uh, this morning from Babylon to Jerusalem, because that's what chapter two is primarily about. Zechariah is going to talk about the future glories of Jerusalem and the downfall of Babylon. So let's start unpacking this. Verse one and two, you have this person, they're going around, they're essentially measuring the boundaries of Jerusalem, trying to figure out how big it needs to be, what it's going to be like. And then the angel comes along and says something really encouraging. Because remember, the city of Jerusalem is in ruins at this point. It's not looking great. And what does God say? Look at verse 4. He says, Jerusalem will be a city without walls because of the great number of people and animals in it. Now, this would have been shocking for them to hear. The city is devastated. Now, before I explain this any further, let me explain something to you really important about uh, biblical prophecy. Um, This is something that will be really helpful for us as we uh, proceed through the summer. Lots of biblical prophecy has what we might call a double fulfillment. So the prophecies are kind of fulfilled in in the near term, and then they're more completely fulfilled in 
a later at a later date. And there are a couple prophecies, even in Zechariah 2, that would fit in that category. The growth of Jerusalem is one of them, because in history, the growth of the city does rebound. In fact, 500 or so years later, by the time of Jesus, the city is it's huge. It's way outgrown even the existing walls at that point. And yet this prophecy isn't fully fulfilled yet, right? Because what did verse 5 say? Look at verse 5. God says, and I myself will be a wall of fire around it, and I will be its glory within. Now, again, you could say it's partially fulfilled because Jesus did come, and he was in Jerusalem, but there's not a wall of fire around it, and God's glory isn't fully within it. It's not like God is completely protecting it. In fact, you could even make an argument over the last 2,000 years of history, Jerusalem maybe is one of the most dangerous places to live on earth, right? So what then is Zechariah ultimately pointing to? Well, like many of the prophecies we're going to see in this book this summer, he's actually pointing to the end times. In fact, here's an interesting Bible fact for you. Did you know that for every one prophecy in the Bible about Jesus' first coming, there are eight prophecies about his second coming? That's amazing. And that's what Zechariah is primarily talking about. In fact, he's pointing to this distant, distant future that you can read about at the very end of this book. If you never read it this week, read the final three chapters of the Bible. There you got some to read, okay? Read the final three chapters of the book of Revelation, and you'll see, actually, there's a number of similarities to the book of Zechariah. So here's what he's pointing to. If you read the end of the Bible, you see that there's this tribulation period. And after the tribulation period, the Bible tells us there will be a 1,000-year period in which Christ will reign on earth and Satan will be bound. And then at the end of the 1,000 years, Satan will be set free and he will gather an army to attack God's city, Jerusalem. But the Bible says that fire will come down and it will devour God's enemies, which is very similar to what we see in Zechariah. In fact, there are a lot of similarities between Zechariah and the book of Revelation. And then after the last battle, we're told that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. In fact, a Jerusalem, a new Jerusalem will come down out of heaven And come to earth. And there, the book of Revelation tells us that God's presence will dwell with us, just as Zechariah said, and God will be the city's glory, just as Zechariah said. So, again, this is kind of fascinating if you're looking at the end times, what's going to happen in the future, but why does this matter for Zechariah's listeners, and why does it matter for us today in 2023? Well, for Zechariah's listeners, honestly, this would have been a massive dose of encouragement because they're thinking, look at this city. It's a disaster. Is it even worth rebuilding? And God is saying through Zechariah, yeah, this is like kind of the most important city in the history of the world. Absolutely, it's worth rebuilding. And even for us today, we need to remember that God sees what we don't see and God can do what we can't do. I mean, we, I believe we have an example of that right in front of our face, right? It was not very long ago that we were meeting in the little gym of that building right there, right? And I think we would have been basically like with a measuring line saying, all right, here's our little box of what we think God can do. And God's like, oh, you think that's all I can do, huh? <laughs> right. God can do so much more than we think. And I would even ask you this morning, where are you limiting God in your life right now? Like, where are you putting God in this little box that you've measured out for him? Because God says, I can do way more than that, way more than you can imagine. And so he wants his people to come back to Jerusalem because God is going to do great things there and also because of the negative things that are going to happen to Babylon. So let's get to that part now. So we're on verse 6, so open it back up. Okay. So here's what verse 6 says. It says, come. 
Come, flee from the land of the north, as Babylon, declares the Lord. For I have scattered you to the four winds of heaven, declares the Lord. Come, Zion, that means Jerusalem. Escape you who live in daughter Babylon. For this is what the Lord Almighty says. After the glorious one has sent me against the nations that have plundered you, for whoever touches you touches the apple of his eye. I will surely raise my hand against them, so that their slaves will plunder them. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me. Okay, this is like this uh, intense passage, right? But it's actually fairly common for how many of the Old Testament prophets speak in the Bible. They declare judgment against those who have harmed God's people. And so God is basically saying this, listen, listen to me. If you harm the apple of my eye, which was Israel, and now we'd say in many cases is, is us, it's the church. He's saying, if you harm them, don't expect to win. Right? Don't expect it to go well for you in the end. He says, I will raise my hand against you. And what happened? Right? It's never in, imminent. It's, it's rarely right away. But what happened to Babylon? It's destroyed. In fact, today, you can't even find the city of Babylon on a map. Okay, Or what happened to the Roman emperors, the ones that so brutally persecuted Christianity and the Christians in the early centuries after Jesus? What happened to the Caesars, to Nero? Right, when they persecuted, they murdered Christians like Peter and Paul. What happened? God's long arm of justice happened. And the people of that day, they could never imagine what 2,000 years later would look like. That now, 2,000 years later, people would be naming their kids after Peter and Paul and be naming their dogs after Nero and Caesar. Right? No offense to dog lovers. Okay. And so God says to the people, he says, flee, flee, flee Babylon because judgment is coming. And I think this word is still for us today, by the way, because in the Bible, Babylon, it's important that you understand this. Babylon isn't just a literal place. It is a spirit. It has a spiritual meaning. In fact, in scripture, Babylon typifies human opposition to God all the way from when they're trying to build the Tower of Babel in the beginning, in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 11, to all the way to the very end of the Bible in the book of Revelation. In fact, if you read Revelation chapter 18, the whole thing is about, shockingly, Babylon. This spiritual Babylon that is setting itself up against God. In fact, let me read you one verse, and that's in your app if you're looking at it, Revelation 18.4. John says, then I heard another voice from heaven say, come out of her, that's, that's Babylon, my people, so that you will not one share in her sins and so that you will not to receive any of her plagues. And this is why Zechariah is saying, verse six, come, come, get out of there, come back, flee, right? In verse seven, he says, come Zion, escape. Why is he saying that? Because what happens? I mean, you can see this in history and it doesn't even have to be this example. When people go to another place and in another culture, eventually over time, they start acting like that culture. You start speaking like the culture. You start thinking like the culture. And pretty soon you become the culture. And God's saying, well, if that happens to you, realize that my judgment is coming to Babylon and I don't want you to be a part of Babylon. And to us as Christians today, God is saying the same thing. He's saying, come, stop, stop fully integrating yourself with the culture around you. He's saying, Christians, you are to be in the world, but not of the world. And God, I believe, is saying to each and every one of us on this field today, 
Flee Babylon. Flee this worldly culture around you that just wants to gratify the flesh and oppose God. Because for some of us, we're so embedded into every little part of the culture around us that people can't tell the difference between us and the non-Christians around us. We act the same, we talk the same, we live the same, we even think the same. In fact, the great pollster, uh, George Barna, uh, he's come out really with multiple polls in the last couple years that have said that only 6% of Americans have a biblical worldview. What does that mean? A biblical worldview means that you believe what the Bible teaches about God and you believe what the Bible teaches about how to live. Only 6% of Americans have a biblical worldview. You'd say, well, David, there's way more than 6% of Americans that go to church and uh, call themselves Christians. Well, how come only 6% have a biblical worldview about life? That's because we as Christians, we're becoming like Babylon. We are integrating ourselves so deeply with the culture that now we, in many cases, we watch the same perverse shows as Babylon. In many cases, we listen to the same ungodly music as Babylon. We go about our relationships, not according to what Scripture teaches, but according to how Babylon goes about relationships. When it comes to how we decide morality, what's right and wrong, rather than going to what the Scripture says, we decide our morals based on what's normal in Babylon. And God is saying, flee that. No, 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 come out of that. Stop integrating yourself so deeply with that. And live instead like you're in Jerusalem, like you're in the city of God, like God is king. Let me tell you something I think is going to be really important for you to understand as a Christian. If you're going to be a Christian in America over the next decade, you are going to have to get used to being different and weird and maybe even persecuted. I could be wrong. And honestly, I hope that I am. But I fear that we're going to have to start making some hard decisions about how and where we are even integrated with Babylon, with the culture around us. Hard decisions even around organizations that we work with, that we volunteer for. I think we're going to have to make even some hard decisions about what companies we work for. Things that we might not have even thought about three years ago. In fact, in other parts of the world, the persecuted church, our brothers and sisters in Christ, they have to make really hard decisions about this already. It's a fact of life for them. Like, what will we do, Christians, if it becomes not just subtle, like it is in many ways now, but what if it becomes crystal clear that the companies that we work for are against God? Or teachers, let me ask you this. I think we probably have more teachers in this church than any other profession. If you are asked to teach something, and I'm not just talking about secular things, of course you're teaching secular things, but what if you're asked to teach something to children that is against the Bible? Will you do it? Or business folks, if you are part of a company that wants you to train people in issues that are against the Bible, against God, will you personally participate in training people in something that you know is against God? I believe these are going to be serious questions for us as Christians in America over the next 10 years, and we got to start thinking about them now. 
And these are nuanced, hard questions, by the way. Even if, if Zechariah chapter 2 right now has you a little bit like off kilter and you're like, oh, I don't even know what to do with this. Let me just say what I always say to you. This is where we need the personal direction of the Holy Spirit. Right? You've got to seek God on this because I don't know what God is going to say to you. And you need to seek godly counsel from your friends and house care, from your, your house leader, your elder, from other people in, in your life. Because honestly, the Holy Spirit calls us to different places right? For some of you, God is telling you right now, he's maybe even shouting in your head, you got to get out of where you are. You are too integrated into the system. But for others of you, he wants you to be a light in the darkness. And let's talk about that because I hear Christians say that all the time now. I want to be a light in the darkness. And I say, yes, illuminate it. Illuminate the darkness. We can't run away to all of these different places so that people don't see our light. But I think there are nuanced questions even about how do you be a light in the darkness because I think a question for a lot of us is, well, how far do I go into the darkness? And I, when people ask me that, I, I usually will say, like, I think a little bit it's a matter of conscience. I think it's a little bit it's a matter of direction from the Holy Spirit. It's a matter of if you're going into the darkness, is it making you become dark? Because if it is, then you've got to get out. And then I think there's another litmus test, particularly if you're thinking about this question about work. And I know that many, many of you are because I've had these conversations with some of you. I think a good litmus test for many of you is this. If in your job, you personally have to participate in advancing the agenda of darkness by what you teach, by what you do, by what you say, then you, re- you need to realize that your coworkers are not seeing you as light. They're seeing you as one of them as a Babylonian. You're, you are not a light if you are just there and you never say anything. You are not a light if you too are advancing the darkness. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 5 that Christians are to have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. And so I just, I really encourage you, pray on this. God may want you right where you are, absolutely. But for some of you, God may be calling you to leave to quit your job, maybe to end a dating relationship you're in, maybe to end a habit. I don't, I don't know where, where it is, but the point is that God wants you not to be in league with Babylon. That's sort of the main point of chapter two, because otherwise, if you're in league with Babylon, it's kind of like aligning yourself with a losing team. Like, let me give you an example of this. Anybody remember uh, who lost the Super Bowl this year? I couldn't remember either. I actually, had to, I actually had to look it up. It was the Eagles, right? And then when I looked it up, it was kind of fun because it was like experiencing them lose all over again, uh, which was wonderful. Um, so, oh, now you say amen. Okay, I see, I see what's going on here. Okay. Um, but here's what I'm saying, and this is why I bring this up. If you align yourself with the culture, with Babylon, it's kind of like going back, re-watching the Super Bowl, putting on an Eagles jersey, and cheering for the Eagles. It's pointless, right? The Eagles are, get your Eagles hat out of here. <laughs> the e- okay, this word is for you. The e- The Eagles are going to lose, right? You cannot change the outcome. No matter how many times you watch it, no matter how many jerseys you you put on, no matter how many things, no matter how many times you complain about that final flag, nothing is going to change. The Eagles are going to lose. And the truth is, I'm telling you, Babylon is going to lose. 
Like, it doesn't matter how powerful the secular culture seems right now in America. It doesn't matter if you feel alone at work as a Christian. It doesn't matter if you feel weird at school as a Christ follower. It doesn't matter how dark it gets here. Babylon is going to lose, and God is going to win. I don't know when, but he will. And because he will, I just have to say to you, stop trying to fit in with Babylon. Stop trying to look like Babylon. Even if everybody else is, you don't need to because Babylon is going to lose. And God is going to win. And the Lord explains himself further here in the last couple of verses. So let's just look at the last few verses here. We're on verse 10 now. It says, Shout and be glad, daughter Zion, for I am coming and I will live among you, declares the Lord. Many nations will be joined with the Lord in that day, and you will become my people. I will live among you, and you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. The Lord will inherit Judah as his portion in the Holy Land, and will again choose Jerusalem. Be still before the Lord, all mankind, because he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. All right, this is a great section. And again, you kind of have partial fulfillment in Jesus' first coming, right? Because the Lord Jesus, who is God, does come to Jerusalem, and he walks among Judah, and he walks on the holy land. By the way, this is the only place in the entire Bible uh, where you see the phrase, the holy land, right here in Zechariah chapter 2. But then Zechariah points to this greater fulfillment, and that's that amazing verse 13, right, where it says, be still. Be still. Because the Lord has roused himself from his holy dwelling. Right, so it's this imagery of the Lord is on his throne and he is getting up and he is coming down to earth, right? Heaven is going to come down to earth. The end will come and Babylon will surely lose. And Jerusalem, the symbol of God's kingdom, God is going to undoubtedly win. And this is why I think Zechariah chapter two is so important uh, to the Bible because this, this right here, this book, it is not wrong. Okay, Jesus has already fulfilled hundreds, not just five, not ten, hundreds of prophecies that were written hundreds of years before him, and he is going to, again, fulfill hundreds more prophecies, and he's going to come back, and he will bring judgment to Babylon, to the kingdoms of this earth, and he will bring victory to Jerusalem, to God's people. And so Christians, Babylon is going to lose. Do not mimic the ways of God's, of the, of the losing team. Don't put on the jersey of the losing team. God is going to win. Come back to Jesus this week. Walk with him more closely, even this week. And if you are here, and this message is just hitting you about what's going to happen in the future, I would tell you, it is important that you come to Jesus for the first time. Maybe you've been living apart from God. Maybe you've never known God. I don't know what it is, but you need to come to God. Because the truth is, God is serious about sin. He will bring judgment for sin. But God is also serious about forgiveness. And God wants to know you. He is seeking you out. He wants to have a relationship with you. But the only way you can be saved, the only way you can know him, the Bible says, is to repent of your sins. So that means the way that you're going, if God is over here and you're walking this way, repent means to leave your life of sin, to turn around and walk to him. It says that you need to bring him in as your leader and as your savior. And as your leader, it means that you let go of all this stuff and you say, God, I'm trusting you. I give my life to you. I want you to lead me. And as your savior, it means that you're trusting in him, that he came and he saved you by dying on the cross for your sins. That he saw all of your sins 
And yet Jesus Christ went and took the punishment for your sins on the cross. And if you would believe in that, he would wash away your sins. He would come into your life, walk with you. And not only that, he will give you eternal life in heaven. But that starts by you making a conscious decision to say, I don't want to go with Babylon anymore. I don't want to live out in the ways of the world. I want to be on the winning side. I want to be with Jesus. Because let me say something to you that people don't say that very, very often. You will not go to heaven if you are not on Jesus' side. Okay, I've read every single spoiler that's in this book. Babylon does not win. God wins. And I want you to be on his side. I want you to be saved. I want you to be saved and I want you to have a relationship with him. But that starts by you saying, I want that. I want to be forgiven. I got to start walking with him. And so if you need to do that this morning, let's do that right now. Okay, let's just have everybody, would you just close your eyes uh, just for a minute? Maybe even just bow your head. If you are here and you need to make a decision right now to be saved, to say, I'm going the wrong way. I'm living on my own. I'm living for myself. And I want to believe that Jesus Christ died for me. I want to give him my life. I want to be forgiven. If that's you and you need to do that for the first time, would you just raise your hand up wherever you are and say, God, that's, that's me. I want to be forgiven. Come into my life. Be my savior and leader. If that's you, would you just put your hand up high so I can see it and say, God, that's me. I want that. All right. Amen. Anyone else? You just put your hand up and say, yes, God, that's me. I want, I want that. I want to be forgiven. I want to walk with you. I want to know you. Anyone need that? We just raise your hand up. I'll give you about five more seconds. If you need it, just trust in him. All right. Amen. For those of you that raise your hand, I want to pray with you. The Bible says that when you get to this point that we can fess with our mouths and we believe in our hearts. So we're just going to pray this prayer. I want you to just repeat it after me, whether you just made this decision or if you've believed it for a long time, just repeat after me. Dear God, I confess to you that I have sinned against you. But God, I believe that you sent your son Jesus to take my place. And God, I thank you for forgiving my sins. And now I commit to following you with my life. Amen. Amen. You can open your eyes. Church, let's just uh, celebrate and, and praise God. You know, one of, one of the things that's been really cool for me is we're, we're outside, you know, things are, I said this last week, things are imperfect, right? And inflatable things are flying away. We, we haven't had a service, we're, so we're five services in, we haven't had a service yet where someone hasn't come to Christ. Um, that is just amazing. And so I would just tell you, the Lord is moving this summer. Invite your friends, bring people who don't know the Lord. Uh, we're seeing people's family members get saved this summer. I mean, God is just doing cool stuff, and uh, we're just so excited. Uh, if you made a decision for Christ, I'll come and give you some information uh, after our final worship song. But we're going to worship together, and we're going to declare that God is with us and that he gives us victory. So let me just pray. Lord, we thank you that you are going to win and that we don't need to worry, that you are victorious. No matter how dark it gets, God, that you will bring the final victory. And so we just praise you, and right now we worship you, and we just take this time to just remember that you indeed are with us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.